Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 269. Today's big Bible question, what are the weapons of Christian warfare? Oh, and who is the enemy? Well, happy Monday, dear friends. Our Bible passages for this fine day include 2 Samuel 17, which, of course, features death and mayhem, plus Psalm 72, Ezekiel 24, and 2 Corinthians 10. Now today, we're going to jump into the time machine and head all the way back to 1990, baby. That was a great year for me, the year I graduated from high school and the year that I discovered that I had preternatural senses, a mutant healing factor, an admantium-laced skeleton, and indestructible claws that came out from between my knuckles. Oh wait, that last part was actually Wolverine. I get he and I mixed up sometimes for obvious reasons, but I did graduate from high school in 1990, and that was kind of an odd year, transitionally, for music for me. My favorite musical genres when I was a teenager, and maybe into my 20s too, were alternative, grunge, hard rock, and heavy metal with a little rap thrown in. But I was in the process of being convicted by God for some of my musical musical choices thanks to my good buddy and a godly friend named Michael Whitlark. I found out about Christian heavy metal from him. And this is Christian music, if you're not familiar, written by Christians, at least by and large, I think it was, that sounded somewhat like the heavy metal acts that I really liked at the time. Bands like Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, Slayer, and of course, Barry Manilow. Those guys, you know, really rocked hard. One of my favorites of the Christian heavy metal genre was a band called Deliverance, and I think they were out of California. They released an amazing album called Weapons of Our Warfare in 1990. Now, it was all about spiritual warfare and had a picture on the album cover of the Apostle Paul writing 2 Corinthians 10, while like in the background, there was this heavily armed angel, and he's got a demon dragon looking thing by the throat and he's about to stick this amazing sword through him and disembowel that demon. As you can imagine, this is an aggressive album and it even has a song on it called Slay the Wicked. And that song starts with the sound of a sword being drawn and you can, you know, hear it in the song and then something being chopped off by that sword, maybe a head, I don't know. But it does have some pretty great lines, like uh, angelic forces fighting the battles, unseen warriors, mighty they are. There is no place where angels fear to tread. Drawing swords of his awesome power, the word of truth on their lips, prevailing over the rulers of this age. Release the power, not ours, not angels, but God's own power. This is the hour. Demons, your fate is sealed. Slay the wicked. And that would be like the chorus. And I'm not going to sing it. And I can't sing it because when they said slay the wicked or they sang slay the wicked, it was like in this ultra high falsetto. And so these pounding guitars and amazing drum beats and like striper or whatever. And uh, for whatever reason, uh, young teenage Chase really loved that kind of music. And the, the album also has this amazing song with the lyrics of Galatians 6 in it. We shall reap if we faint not. Now, here's the thing. Several of the Bible verses that I have memorized the best came from my Christian heavy metal days, uh, which I, you know, still go f- into from time to time, uh, at least once or twice a year, I guess, because I like my music like I like my mints. Powerful, aggressive, and enlivening. 
Altoids are just way too weak for me. Anyway, looking back, the best thing about that album is the very first track entitled Supplication. It starts out with this amazing British guy quoting 2 Corinthians 10, our focus chapter today, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Man, great stuff. And listening to that verse with a little bit of uh, the music in the background is phenomenal. And I can't really talk about 2 Corinthians 10 without thinking about that album. So let's go read the passage, not in a heavy metal sort of voice, but in a regular sort of voice. And let's see if it's quite as violent as the band Deliverance seems to envision it. And then we're going to discuss what the weapons of our warfare are and who we are to use them against. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble among you in person, but bold towards you when absent. I beg you that when I am present, I will not need to be bold with the confidence by which I plan to challenge certain people who think we are living according to the flesh. For though we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ, and we are ready to punish any disobedience once your, diso- once your obedience is complete. Look at what is obvious. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, let him remind himself of this. Just as he belongs to Christ, so do we. For if I boast a little too much about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for tearing you down, I will not be put to shame. I don't want to seem as though I am trying to terrify you with my letters, for it is said, his letters are weighty and powerful, but his physical presence is weak, and his public speaking amounts to nothing. Let such a person consider this, what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will also be in our actions when we are present. For we don't dare classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves, but in measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves to themselves, they lack understanding. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but according to the measure of the area of ministry that God has assigned us, which reaches even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we had not reached you since we have come to you with the gospel of Christ. We are not boasting beyond measure about other people's labors. On the contrary, we have the hope that as your faith increases, our area of ministry will be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel to the regions beyond you without boasting about what has already been done in someone else's area of ministry. So, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one commending himself who is approved, but the one who the Lord commends. So, violent passage, right? Well, yes, but not violent in the action movie sense or the hand-to-hand combat sense. Here's the thing about Paul. No offense, he was not a bad man. He apparently was remarkably unimpressive to look at and listen to, and he was, by his own confession, quite physically weak. We just heard it in verse 10. He quotes... His critics who say his letters are weighty and powerful, but his physical presence is weak and his public speaking amounts to nothing. So think about that for a second. The chief spokesman of early Christianity whom God used to spread the gospel all over Asia and Europe was weak physically 
and a poor public speaker, and yet God used him to ignite an inarguably world-changing movement that has lasted almost two millennia. That's difficult to explain without resorting to the supernatural. Now, that helps us understand and realize that Paul isn't talking about hand-to-hand combat kind of weapons and beating people up and stuff. And we also know this from verses 3 through 6, which I'll read again in case you forgot. Paul says, though we live in the flesh, in other words, though we're human with skin and bones, we don't wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So if Paul wasn't talking about physical weapons, what was he talking about? Well, can you think of any other passage where Paul talks about um, spiritual weapons in a metaphoric sense? Yes, yes, I hear you in New York. You're absolutely right. Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all of the saints. That's Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Now, people often say there's only one weapon in this passage, the sword of the Spirit. But, you know, I actually see two weapons, which, when combined, form the weapons of our warfare. Well, first, of course, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, God's Word. And the other weapon I see, although it's not explicitly mentioned as a weapon, we see it used in Scripture as a weapon, is praying in the Spirit and interceding. We fight the spiritual battles in front of us, not with our fists or our guns or our adamantium claws or whatever, and most especially not with our insults, cut-downs, backbiting, slander, libel, gossip, and angry outbursts, but with the Word of God and prayer. These are the mighty weapons that Paul is pointing us to today. The Word of God, which is sharper than any sword, says Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And the other weapon a lifestyle of persevering, spirit-empowered, spirit-led, and spirit-soaked praying in the spirit. We know there is an offensive weapon-type capacity to prayer in the realm of spiritual warfare from instances like the time where the disciples failed to cast a demon out of a suffering young boy whose father had brought the boy to them for help, and they failed. And later on, when they asked Jesus why they failed, his answer was, This kind can only come out by prayer. We also know that praying in the Spirit has a strengthening quality 
uh, a quality that builds us up in the faith from passages like Jude 20, which says, But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, you might be thinking that today's answer to the big Bible question is very much elementary, and you were hoping for something deeper and more mysterious and more complicated or whatever. And I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I need to tell you this. What we've been given today in the Word of God is powerful and mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. It's also rare, at least in practice. Most Christians would probably know that the Word of God is like a sword, and they would know that praying can be helpful in spiritual warfare, but very, very few Christians, in my experience, actually dwell in the Word and in prayer to the degree necessary to actually persevere in spiritual warfare against the enemy and pull down those strongholds we're talking about. In the same way that lifting one 10-pound weight, one rep once a month won't make you strong at all, and running 10 yards at a slow pace once every six months won't make you fast, praying a short prayer of your raisin bran in the morning and reading a Bible verse a day may be maybe if you catch one on your mug or something, will not make you mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. That is not the kind of spiritual warfare Paul is talking about here. One more question to cover. Who is the enemy? And this is really, really, really important. The answer is very, very crucial that we get, dear friends. The enemy is not humans. Your enemy is not humans, not Democrat humans, not Trump-supporting humans, not Trump-hating humans, not liberal humans, not conservative humans, not white humans, not black humans, not brown humans, not old humans, not young humans, not teenage humans, not rich humans, not poor humans, not homeless humans, not entitled humans, not foul-mouthed humans, not humans in gangs, not humans in law enforcement, not humans in your family, not humans that are your in-laws, not your spouse humans, your parental unit humans, your sibling humans, or any humans. Humans are not the enemy that our weapons of warfare are are to be used against. Instead, rereading Ephesians 6.12, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, not against humans, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heaven. Now, we're going to go deeper on that passage in very soon, a few weeks when we get to it. But one more reminder, humans aren't your enemies. They are your mission field. So turn the other cheek. Serve them with humility. Love them as you love yourself. Be patient with them, even when they're being jerks, and stretch yourself to share the good news of Jesus to them. You and I have been sent as an ambassador to represent King Jesus to these humans, and he loves them and desires that all of them come to the truth and be saved. Don't make enemies out of people. Make disciples. We continue in 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1. Ahithophel said to Absalom, Let me choose 12,000 men, and I will set out in pursuit of David tonight. I will attack him while he is weary and discouraged, throw him into a panic, and all the people with him will scatter. I will strike down only the king and bring back all the people to you. When everyone returns except the man you're looking for, all the people will be at peace. This proposal seemed right to Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Then Absalom said, Summon Hushai the archite also. Let's hear what he has to say as well. So Hushai came to Absalom, and Absalom told him, Ahithophel offered this proposal. Should we carry out his proposal? If not, what do you say? 
Hushai replied to Absalom, This advice Ahithophel has given you this time is not good. Hushai continued, You know your father and his men. They are warriors and are desperate like a wild bear robbed of her cubs. Your father is an experienced soldier who won't spend the night with the people. He's probably already hiding in one of the caves or some other place. If some of our troops fall first, someone is sure to hear and say, There's been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then even a brave man with the heart of a lion will lose heart because all Israel knows that your father and the valiant men with him are warriors. Instead, I advise that all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, as numerous as the sand by the sea, be gathered to you and that you personally go into battle. Then we will attack David wherever we find him and we will descend on him like dew on the ground. Not even one will be left, neither he nor any of the men with him. If he retreats to some city, all Israel will bring ropes to that city and we will drag its stones into the valley until not even a pebble can be found there. Since the Lord had decreed that Ahithophel's good advice would be undermined in order to bring about Absalom's ruin, Absalom and all the men of Israel said, "Hmm, The advice of Hushai the archite is better than Ahithophel's advice. Hushai then told the priests Zadok and Abiathar, This is what Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and this is what I advised. Now send someone quickly and tell David, Don't spend the night at the wilderness ford, but be sure to cross over the Jordan, or the king and all the people with him will be devoured. Jonathan and Ahimaaz were staying at En-Rogel, where a servant girl would come and pass along information to them. They, in turn, would go and inform King David because they dared not be seen entering the city. However, a young man did see them and informed Absalom. So the two left quickly and came to the house of a man in Bahurim. He had a well in his courtyard, and they climbed down into it. Then his wife took the cover, placed it over the mouth of the well, and scattered grain on it so nobody would know anything. Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house and asked, Where's Ahimaaz and Jonathan? Uh, they They passed by towards the water, the woman replied to them. The men searched but did not find them, so they returned to Jerusalem. After they had gone, Ahimaaz and Jonathan climbed out of the well and went and informed King David. They told him, Get up immediately and ford the river, for Ahithophel has given this advice against you. So David and all the people with him got up and crossed the Jordan. By daybreak, there was no one who had not crossed the Jordan. When Ahithophel realized that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey and set out for his house in his hometown. He set his house in order and hanged himself. So he died and was buried in his father's tomb. David had arrived at Mahanaim by the time Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel. Now Absalom had appointed Amasa over the army in Joab's place. Amasa was the son of a man named Ithra the Israelite. Ithra had married Abigail, daughter of Nahash. Abigail was a sister to Zariah, Joab's mother. And Israel and Absalom camped in the land of Gilead. When David came to Mahanaim, Shobi, son of Nahash, from Rabbah of the Ammonites, Machir, son of Amiel, from Lodabar, and Barzillai, the Gileadite, from Rogalim, brought beds, basins, and pottery items. They also brought wheat, barley, flour, roasted grain, beans, lentils, honey curd, sheep, goats, and cheese from the herd for David and the people with him to eat. They had reason. The people must be hungry, exhausted, and thirsty in the wilderness. Ezekiel chapter 24 verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me in the ninth year, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month. Son of man, write down today's date, this very day. The king of Babylon has laid siege to Jerusalem this very day. Now speak a parable to the rebellious house. Tell them, this is what the Lord God says. 
Put the pot on the fire. Put it on and then pour water into it. Places, place the pieces of meat in it. Every good piece, thigh and shoulder. Fill it with choice bones. Take the choicest of the flock and also pile up the fuel under it. Bring it to a boil and cook the bones in it. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. Woe to the city of bloodshed, the pot that has corrosion inside it, and its corrosion has not come out of it. Empty it piece by piece. Lots should not be cast for its contents, for the blood she shed is still within her. She put it out on the bare rock. She didn't pour it on the ground to cover it with dust in order to stir up wrath and take vengeance. I have put her blood on the bare rock so that it would not be covered. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. Woe to the city of bloodshed. I myself will make the pile of kindling large. Pile on the logs and kindle the fire. Cook the meat well and mix in the spices. Let the bones be burned. Set the empty pot on its coals so that it becomes hot and its copper glows. Then its impurity will melt inside it. Its corrosion will be consumed. It is frustrated every effort. Its thick corrosion will not come off. Into the fire with its corrosion because of the depravity of your uncleanness. Since I tried to purify you, But you would not be purified from your uncleanness. You will not be pure again until I have satisfied my wrath on you. I, the Lord, have spoken. It is coming, and I will do it. I will not refrain. I will not show pity, and I will not relent. I will judge you according to your ways and deeds. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, I am about to take the delight of your eyes away from you with a fatal blow. But you must not lament or weep or let your tears flow. Groan quietly. Do not observe mourning rites for the dead. Put on your turban and strap your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your mustache or eat the bread of mourners. I spoke to the people in the morning and my wife died in the evening. The next morning I did just as I was commanded. Then the people asked me, won't you tell us what these things you are doing mean for us? So I answered them, the word of the Lord came to me, say to the house of Israel, This is what the Lord God says. I am about to desecrate my sanctuary, the pride of your power, the delight of your eyes, and the desire of your heart. Also, the sons and daughters you left behind will fall by the sword. Then you will do just as I have done. You will not cover your mustache or eat the bread of mourners. Your turbans will remain on your heads and your sandals on your feet. You will not lament or weep, but will waste away because of your iniquities and will groan to one another. Now Ezekiel will be a sign for you. You will do everything that he has done. When this happens, you will know that I am the Lord God. As for you, son of man, know that on that day I will take from them their stronghold, their pride and joy, the delight of their eyes, and the longing of their hearts as well as their sons and daughters. On that day a fugitive will come to you and report that news. On that day your mouth will be opened to talk with him. You will speak and no longer be mute. So you will be a sign for them and they will know that I am the Lord. Psalm chapter 72, verse 1. God, give your justice to the king, and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your inflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring well-being to the people and the hills righteousness. May he vindicate the afflicted among the people, help the poor, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon, throughout all generations. May the king be like rain that falls on the cut grass, like spring showers that water the earth. May the righteous flourish in his days and well-being abound until the moon is no more. May he rule from sea to sea and from the Euphrates to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes kneel before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coasts and islands bring tribute. The kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts. Let all kings bow in homage to him. All nations serve him. For he will rescue the poor who cry out and the afflicted who have no helper. 
He will have pity on the poor and helpless and save the lives of the poor. He will redeem them from oppression and violence, for their lives are precious in his sight. May he live long. May gold from Sheba be given to him. May prayer be offered for him continually. And may he be blessed all day long. May there be plenty of grain in the land. May it wave on the tops of the mountains. May its crops be like Lebanon. May people flourish in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever as long as the sun shines. May his fame increase. May all nations be blessed by him and call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does wonders. Blessed be his glorious name forever. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, son of Jesse, are concluded. Well, blessed be the name of the Lord. Good day to you, friends. God's blessings and Godspeed.